If I were quarantined with I would let him and then we would <laughs> Oh my god, oh boy. Did you get that out of your system somehow? <laughs> yeah, I feel much better now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Hello, Slate listeners. We have an important message for you. By now, you probably know about Slate's membership program, Slate Plus. It's a subscription that gives you ad-free versions of every Slate podcast. You can get this show and others like Dear Prudence and the Political Gap Fest, all without any ad breaks. But if you're a reader of Slate as well as a listener, you might have noticed that Slate.com recently installed a paywall. So we wanted you to know that a Slate Plus membership will also give you access to everything on our website. From our recent coverage of the coronavirus to Who Counts, our ongoing investigation into whose voices will be left out of the 2020 election, we are committed to keeping you informed about everything this year has in store. And your support is extremely important to helping us continue this important work. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash plus. And if you're already a member, just log in at slate.com slash login. Hi, Bim. Hello, Nicole. (laughs) I feel like we're both very self-conscious about not purring at each other today. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't mind purring at you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that pause told me everything I need to know. You're like, well, I, I'd rather you didn't purr at me, you weirdo. That's fair. I get that. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, so what's shaking? How's everything going over there in your part of the world? You mean my apartment? You mean my tiny, improbably small apartment that I usually am quite happy with. But in the last few weeks, I feel like that video of that little girl that went around on Twitter a few weeks back and she's yanking things off the wall and she's just saying over and over, I hate this house. I feel like that baby. Like, (laughs) but other than that, I'm doing a okay. How are you doing? (laughs) Like, other than hating my very place of existence, um, I'm doing okay. Uh, no, I'm I'm still doing um, okay, I guess. But I have reinstalled some dating apps that I wow. had deleted. So I'm just like, I need a man to pay attention to me some kind of way. Um, and even though everybody is locked inside, uh, still... Men do not know how to have a conversation. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> Congratulations, you played yourself. <laughs> Seriously, I think I'm thinking about uninstalling everything again because it's just, I shouldn't have to pull teeth. Like, we're all tired and horny and bored. Just talk, you know? We can, <laughs> like, what you're saying is not interesting. <sighs> Nicole, listen, I deleted all those apps a while ago because <laughs> I knew. <laughs> that there be monsters and I just didn't want to have to deal with that at this time. Like I'm already under a lot of needless stress. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm far from home. I am tired all the time. I feel like I've been battling a series of demons, like just (laughs) one after the other, sometimes multiple demons at once. So I really wasn't trying to add to that people being just unable to engage in human interaction. Well, you know, I think that's what I'm going to do. I I go through those phases where I delete the apps and I think I'm going to do them again. Um, Plus, we here at Thursday Kit, we have a hiatus coming up and that will help free my mind and I can relax and just, you know, relearn myself, which may be a euphemism. I don't know right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so wholesome. I wasn't even thinking of that. I was like, oh, my God, she might take up knitting. And you're saying, no, bitch. <laughs> no, not knitting. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, um, but yeah, I'm glad you but... brought up the hiatus because I know that people have been sending us messages, whether on Twitter or email or on Tumblr, to say how we are an essential part 
of their quarantine situation Mm -hmm. whether that's going back into like the catalog or it is listening to stuff that we've been doing these last few weeks and you know people are just being really supportive and kind as they always have been to be fair right we are not uh disappearing we're just taking a break um we'll probably be still a little active on twitter um with any particular announcements or if anything you know incredible happens like uh i don't know mark ruffalo leaves his wife and marries me (laughs) that is hyper specific and i love it (laughs) but if anything like that happens you know you should look out for news um and uh, other announcements on our twitter page um just in general you never know what you're gonna see and we'll let you know when we're coming back but we are coming back we Yay. are coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we have to reassure. Guys, we are coming back. Um, but before we go, we have this one episode to give to you. A little parting gift so that you can remember us over the next few weeks. Um, Nicole, this is tied into a lot of quarantine activity. Um, mm. You know, I think a lot of us, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, a lot of us during this time, those of us who are able to stay at home and work from home and just generally be at home, are reaching for familiar and comforting things. So for me, that meant watching Bones with hopefully a more critical eye, but still very much loving the central relationship between Brennan and Booth. Um, Nicole, I know you've also been watching um, some stuff like Superstore uh, and other sitcoms as well. Yes, I've been um, watching stuff that's still currently on the air like Superstore as you mentioned and Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, mm. Good Girls of course uh, as we mentioned in our episode about Manny Montana hey. and just like every you know all that kind of stuff but I've also yeah I've been um, living on Netflix and Amazon Prime going back through stuff that I'm you know that I'm already familiar with that I know how it's gonna end there's no question <laughs> there's oh, <yes>. no <laughs> there's no mystery and it's also just fun to like you know when you're re-watching this stuff to see all the hints and all the clues that were dropped beforehand Mm. when it comes to certain things like oh you know that will they won't they couple that ends up getting together and then you go back and you see all these little things that have been planted um you know all the crumbs that we've been following right right all this to say for the shows that we have been rewatching, there are certain couples that sort of embody the idea of, you know, real love, true love, lasting love, blah, 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 love. Mm-hmm. And there's something about right. watching those couples get together that is, it feeds the, the beast in me that needs certainty. Yes. And it feeds, feeds the beast in me that needs to know that love exists somewhere whether it's you know if it's not on this plane it's in like this other dimension of entertainment (laughs) (laughs) that is both depressing and incredibly cheering thanks nicole what a mix (laughs) well that's why we keep going back to shows like parks and recreation Mm. new girl (sighs) and good girl yes good girls are still very new it's um Still good quality rewatched fodder. Yes. And now that they have two seasons on Netflix, it is very bingeable. I cannot stress enough. And we know a lot of you people have started watching Good Girls after our episode about Money Montana, which you're welcome. Um, So (laughs) we are going to talk about those three shows and we're going to talk about the couples therein, the couples that make us want to just watch them forever because watching them fall in love is a pleasure every single time and it also does a really remarkable thing like nicole said of just reaffirming the idea that should you want love it is possible to have it whoever you are yes exactly um i started re-watching parks and recreation for maybe the fourth time <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> uh maybe gosh I went back through my Twitter account because I was looking for something recently and I saw that I was like watching it as far back as uh, November, I believe. Wow. And so just, you know, like doing little chunks of episodes um, just to make myself feel better. Um, You know, they were just so sweet and funny and ridiculous. And it's always good to like watch and see the stuff that's going on, you know, in the background a little bit. But my favorite thing, of course, 
is the courtship of Ben and Leslie, Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nope. Okay, Ugh. so first of all, the fact that you said courtship, I think, is the beginning of understanding this relationship. So for those of you who somehow haven't watched Parks and Recreation or even heard of it, it is a show about one government department in local government in Indiana in a, in a city called Pawnee. Um, but it more importantly is the fact that it is a creation um, of one Mr. Mike Schur, who is sort of uh, a savant <laughs> at creating uh, TV shows or co-creating TV shows that have a central love story that feels both human and entertaining and dramatic and joyful and all the good and all the bad. It, it, he basically writes really wonderful human relationships. Um, mm. And he co-created Parks and Recreation. Um, and of course, again, shout out to his brain, but also an amazing team effort because Amy Poehler and Adam Scott are just remarkable. They have this crackling chemistry. And of course, performance goes into the stuff that is written and the team of writers and all that stuff. But there is something about Ben and Leslie, like Nicole said, that just helps you feel, I don't know, infinite. There's something about them that is just ugh, chef's kiss. It's just beautiful. Ben and Leslie, you know, they are goals, yep. you know, to use Internet speak. They're just so um, themselves. They're just completely who they are with each other. They stand up against um, other people for each other. They're so defensive of each other, which, oh, Ben Wyatt one time punched somebody for calling Leslie a bitch. And it is one of the hottest moments I have ever seen (laughs) (laughs) in a sitcom. You and Leslie both felt the feelings because she looked like she was really ready to drop trout, like right there in the bowling alley. Like, what? And I remember you yes. tweeting about it and you were like, oh my God, Leslie's me and I am Leslie. Like, I also want to clamber across like <laughs> the bowling alley and jump <laughs> into his arms. The thing about the show, as you mentioned, is that they are so each other, each other's person. But what I really, really, really love about Ben and Leslie is that they are both very good people um, separately. And yet somehow mm. together they are better like each person pushes the other one to be the best version of themselves and that means tamping down their worst urges and raising up their best urges um and that's it's not necessarily that they are changing each other it's really just a case of just allowing the best facet of their personality to kind of come to the fore um but one of my finest happiest examples of this is actually in the episode where they get together so this is season four and we've seen them kind of dance around their attraction anyway on this final project that they're supposed to be doing which is the smallest park in Pawnee the littlest park she invites him to that little park after they've had this massive falling out um and she does something that I don't think a lot of tv shows do or even do nearly as well she is emotionally naked she opens up she puts herself on the line, knowing full well that it could end really badly for her. Hey. Hi. Wasn't sure you were going to come. Well, I got very curious when you only left me one voicemail message instead of your usual 20. I'm trying to be a little less intense and a little more considerate. Here, have a seat. But only if you want to. Okay. I want to. I never listen to what you wanted. Or how you wanted us to be when things ended between us. I just decided what I wanted, and I got upset when you didn't want the same thing. I know that's not fair, and I'm very sorry. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. If you don't want to have any more contact with me, I finally understand. I I don't want that, really. But I just think it's for the best. Okay. Okay. There is another option. We could just say screw it and do this thing for real. What? I miss you like crazy. I think about you all the time. I want to be with you. So let's just say screw it. We would have to tell Chris. Yeah. It could turn into a scandal. Yeah. It could hurt your campaign. I mean, yes. how would how would you imagine we do this? I don't know. But I 
I know how I feel, and I want to be with you. But I'm done steamrolling people. This is how I feel. How do you feel? <sighs> so deep in my feelings. <laughs> she took these very cliche lines. I miss you like crazy. I think about you all the time. Yes. And you hear this waver in her voice. Oh, that is gosh. that quaver <laughs> the quiver <laughs> that you know you read about but you've never really seen it implemented um properly you know but she did that Ugh. um but that scene she just opens leslie up like that is so it is really touching um but to be fair it was also kind of just really spellbinding tv to watch somebody and a woman at that to be for, for, for the woman to be the person who is putting us up on the line like that where we usually see men throw it all you know at the at the kitchen sink like come on we're gonna do it and it, instead to have leslie do that and to you know her voice like you said that quaver in her voice that her eyes are so big in the scene like she is desperate she knows that she loves this man she knows that she wants him and she is in like you know heart-stopping fear that he will not reciprocate and when he does it makes the win so much sweeter and i can watch that shit on loop for hours easy and one of the things that i loved about their courtship is how quickly we get to it how quickly you know ben comes on the scene and at first we're not really sure like his personality because he's very you know he's a little buttoned up mm. he's you know a stickler um, but he realizes that Pawnee is unlike any other place that he has ever been and he has to adapt and so he does and then you know we start seeing that oh is there going to be something between Ben and Leslie and it just moves it doesn't move like too quickly. Which, um, again, there's there's such a, a delicate art mm. to making sure that couples get together. Um, you know, it can't be too soon. It can't be too far away from the start of everything. But they, the way that they um, begin to notice each other and see each other oh and, you know, just kind of recognize that something is happening here. It's just, mm, I, I love it when Leslie has the flu and Ben Ugh. brings her soup. Ugh. And she doesn't like, you know, she's out of it. She's a little loopy, but he made her homemade soup. It's a family <laughs> recipe, Nicole. It's an old family recipe. He made her the soup. And he also brought her waffles because he knows that she loves breakfast foods. And of course, she jumps on the waffles. And he's like, oh, you know, it's just a family recipe. No big deal. And you're like, bless him. This is such a big deal. <laughs> and she's just eating right. the waffles. Like, yeah, I love waffles. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, Leslie. Just... <laughs> Let him climb into the bed next to you for fuck's sake. I love that episode. I feel like that is the beginning of a very concrete sort of, that's the first time I think that he is completely and utterly in awe of her ability. And mm -hmm. maybe it's the uh, feminist in me, but that bit for me, I'm just kind of like, yeah, you better be in awe. You better. Because Ben does that all the way through the series. He is just constantly kind of marveling at the capacity of her brain in a way that is not creepy or cringy he's not out there kind of throwing compliments at her pointlessly he's not kind of going you can do it you're a tiger he's just kind of like quietly assured he knows what his girlfriend slash wife can do he knows he is he's been at the at the receiving end of so much of her genius he gets it and he just quietly supports he's often taken a literal step back so that leslie can step forward and shine and i'm sorry but there is literally nothing hotter i mean i whenever i watch that i'm just kind of like that's that's who i want i don't even want like someone like ben wyatt i want ben wyatt like i i want him he's so every time she compliments his non-existent butt i'm like yes that's the shit there's a bit where she calls him like something like an elf king and i'm just like yes bitch i see it yes <laughs> I really loved their brand of flirting, which is always like before they got together, when they were together and after they got married, there is like this thread that runs through again, two nerds getting together in a way that is unique to only them and the rest of the world kind of looking, you know, a little bit bemused like the fuck, but they get one another. And one of my favorites comes um, in the middle of season three. When they're aware of their, you know, their chemistry, they are trying to stay away from one another because they know about the rule about dating at work. And it's a cold open 
for episode 14 in season three and it's uh it's leslie and it's Anne, and they're in the courtyard and they're having breakfast or something and um then ben walks by hey leslie hey thank you for that year-over-year maintenance cost analysis that was that was really helpful you're so welcome i was thinking about you when i wrote it because yeah. i was um because i told you i wanted to read it yeah <laughs> it's a good reason Oh, anyway, Chris wants to see us in his office. I guess we should head over there. All right. All right. All right, cool. Great. See you there. I'll see you there, Benjamin. Ben. All right, Leslie, man. <laughs> Leslie. Hi, Ben. Oh, hey, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> he forgot her name. He literally was like, who? What? Huh? It is so amazing. It is the just I laugh so hard every time. And he does this thing where the camera he looks right at the camera like the hell does she come from? Like he he did not see Anne. He just did not he was out there talking about fucking spreadsheets with Leslie and he was just like all the way like he just couldn't see. I love that scene so much. And Anne's face is just kind of like, what the fuck? But as the scene continues, there is just like this again, just this like I said, this bemusement. <laughs> At. like this is what you people talk about i love it but anyway let's let's hear the rest of the the rest of the scene wow that was the most sexual tension i have ever seen in a conversation about documents it can't happen we could both get fired it's a dumb rule i know if you have to follow it i would just suggest avoiding one-on-one tensiony situations with them you're right good plan i am sending you two on a trip Really? <laughs> it is superb. Um, but yeah, Ben and Leslie for me are sort of a prototype for just this idea that no matter how weird or intense or odd you might be, somebody mm-hmm. out there who might be exactly like you or not nothing like you is there. If you want that, it's possible for you to have it. And I think there is nothing that sums it up better for me than in season five when they finally get married and it's beautiful the two of them say their beautiful vows and it culminates in leslie saying this line that <sighs> listen it ruined everybody it <laughs> ruined everybody and they said it before to each other um in my first rewatch i realized that they had said it to each other um i think they were looking for a house or something like uh-huh. that and um but it was a very quick little you know in the same way that you greet someone uh you greet your partner uh-huh. when they come into the house right it was a little quick little thing and and she says it but and that was it i think they only said it to each other that one time uh-huh. again the little crumb the little clue that they yes. put out there but then we get to the wedding uh. i cried like a mother <laughs> I, I was all the way just kind of like, wow, I can't believe it's my wedding day and I'm actually at my wedding right now. Like I felt so emotionally invested. And like you, I was sobbing because again, amazing acting from Adam Scott and Amy Poehler who just throw everything at it. And then you have the magic of this line, which again, should be cheesier than a baked camembert. And yet... I'm putting my bread in the cheese, like put it in my mouth. I'm I'm here to eat all of it. Like I, again, another scene that I could watch forever because it just betrays the intense bond that they have. And, you know, also, if I'm going to be completely honest, the bond that I would like to have with someone, you know, it's just, it's yes, incredibly yes. aspirational. But anyway, here is the line. Here is the scene. It wrecks me every time. I love you and I like you. I love you and I like you. And now, with the power vested in me by the state of Indiana, I now pronounce you husband and wife. <laughs> you may now kiss the... Well, oops. <laughs> oh, my heart is so full. Oh, my gosh. I love you and I like I... you. That is so important in any relationship. Oh, my God. You know... <sighs> Nicole, can I just say, though, I, I do love you and I do like you. I love you and I like you too. But it hits oh different God. because you're not bae. But, but I love you. Right. <laughs> and I like right. you. <laughs> but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. But anyway, Leslie and Ben. Uh, yes, I will watch them fall in love every single time it is offered to me. 
And I urge you, dear listener, if you are feeling that you perhaps can't believe that there is love in the world, please do yourself a favor and watch Parks and Rec specifically for Ben and Leslie, because it is truly a love story for our age and other ages, too. Now, Ben and Leslie aren't the only characters on Parks and Recreation. One of our other favorite characters, Donna Meagle, as played by Retta, she keeps us in stitches. <laughs> and, you know, and she didn't get the screen time that she deserved on Parks and Rec. But, you know, we're not going to go into that right now. Luckily, Retta has moved on to a new show where she is the star. OK, she is one of the stars. She leads the show. And of course, we're talking about Good Girls. And, you know, if you're a listener of the show regularly, you may know that a couple of weeks back we did a full episode on Manny Montana, who is, I guess, the fourth lead in the show alongside all the three women um, who are the titular good girls. Um, And of course, we kind of wax lyrical about Manny and how he plays Rio and how it's just like this perfectly coiled bag of energy and oftentimes he's playing against beth who is played by uh christina Hendricks. but there is retta who plays a friend of beth's um who is she's in many ways i feel like the audience's avatar because <laughs> a lot of the time we're watching that show and we're just kind of like what are these two crazy white women going to do next? And <laughs> Retta as Ruby is just kind of like, she's a person, uh, if she could, in the manner of Parks and Rec, side-eye the camera, she would absolutely be looking down the barrel of the camera to be like, you see this shit? You see this shit? Because that's often what I'm doing when I'm watching. Like, what the hell is this shit? And Ruby, I think, is just, she's very much like uh, a steady sort of normal person who I think is the person for whom this amount of chaos is the most disorienting. Like it's so jarring to her way of life and her way of being. And so much of that is because of who she is and who she has made a life with. And in this case, it is the cutest man in the world, Stan. He is so cute and he's so supportive. Um, and we're going to get to that in, you know, in a second. One thing that I really like about um, Ruby's character in general is the fact that she, yes, she's the only black woman and, you know, is the lead in this show. Um, but we get to see a lot of her black family, her black church, her other black mm. friends, things like that. So there is no denial of who she is or there's no like yes. she's not invisible. The rest of her life is not invisible. She has a full uh field of black support i guess you could say um and so it's just so well done you know because it's not heavy-handed it's not over your head it's not them beating it over your head it's just yes she goes to a church here are all the other black people in this city yes she has this black family here's the you know all of that anyway yes yes I, I, i yes i agree with you and i feel like the thing that you know will become clear but especially by the time you get to the end of the show is that in casting for this show, we, Nicole and I and our producer, we sat down and we were just kind of like, okay, so if we were to do this show that is about kind of goals, couples, people that, you know, really kind of give you a sort of mostly trauma-free, happy, um, textured, nuanced, layered portrayal of people, TV is not great at serving up couples where both the partners are black, you know? Right, right. We had to do a little bit of digging, um, you know, and, and which we've tried to keep it to network TV so that, you know, more people would have access to it and they would be able to go and watch it should they if they haven't seen anything before. But it's really hard finding a two black people in a loving relationship in a marriage uh on current television i mean you have some shows on bet and own uh bet plus and things like that but again those are like you kind of have to have a subscription or you have to figure out a way to get to them and they're not really normalizing it for people to have easy access to them so even on this is us there is a black couple we've talked about sterling k brown before uh in a previous episode but that show is so um, devastating every episode. <laughs> it's just like 
you can't not watch <laughs> a single episode without yeah. crying. Um, right. And I want to save my tears for other things. And like, we're looking for portrayals of couples that is more than just kind of like sunshine and flowers. Um, of course, we're not trying to like needlessly idealize whatever. But I think what I love about Stan and Ruby in particular is just how um, casually in love they are. So there is a lot of casual touch between the two of them. Yes, they're so um, familiar and intimate with each other in those small ways that count. You know, those ways that yes. if they stopped, you would be like, something's wrong. What's happened? Mm. You know? Um, yes. Yes. So there are all these moments. So like everyone in the show, in terms of the, the good girls of, of, of the title, they have kids. So they have a little boy and they have a little girl who has been chronically ill for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, some of the things that push um, the the way that they act into motion is needing to provide healthcare for their very sick daughter so that she can, you know, keep living. Um, And there is something about the way that Ruby and Stan talk to and with their children. Yes. That really warms every single part of my chest because I'm just kind of like, so often I think, when we think about couples, we're thinking about how they relate to one another. But again, there is another shorthand that is present. If you have children, that the children themselves become a sort of conduit for the language that you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching Stan feed his kids or prepare their dinner or just be with them, you know, because, you know, at the beginning of the series, he is working as um, security. Um, he's working as a, um, a male, uh, a mall security guy. Uh, and by season two and three, he's a police officer um, and that changes. But his hours are kind of like, you know, he's doing long hours, probably for not a lot of money. Um, but he's one of those, you know, old school providers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes home late and he manages so often to spend time with the kids. And you can see Ruby just melt because the kids love their dad. He loves them. And he's she's just looking at him like... That thing that you have, you know, every so often, I don't know if this happens a lot to a lot of people, but, you know, you're with someone and you feel like, yeah, we get one another. We know what we're about. But then they show you something, a side of them that perhaps you hadn't realized was there. And then something about that, seeing that, just a little thing at the back of your mind kind of goes, huh, I chose well. Yes. <laughs> like, it's a clap on your back, but it's like, no, I, I, I actually, I did that. I, I really did do that. <laughs> One of my favorite moments, it's after Stan has started to become a police officer. I think at this point he is a police officer and he's been overhearing the details of an investigation that um, centers around Ruby and the girls and he doesn't know it. At this point, he's still ignorant to what's going on, to the ways that Ruby has been earning some extra money. And so Ruby wants to uh, get information out of him. And she knows that the best way to do that is to get him high. What you got there? Uh, what is that? Leftovers. From when? Nelly concert, 2003. Babe, I'm an officer of the law. Off duty. I shouldn't even be seeing that. It's getting hot oh in here. So hot, so take off Put all your clothes. I am getting so no, hot. I want to take see, my see, clothes off. You need to stop off. playing. You need to stop playing. You remember that show? I was like, good gracious, ass is bodacious. Flirtatious, trying to make faces. <laughs> What's going on with you? I just, you know, finally seeing some light in this damn tunnel. Haven't we earned at least one night off? Kids are down. For the count. You were the winner, baby, so you can't lose. I I got a secret, can't leave, can't cool. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because I I love... 
the playfulness of it. I love this, you know, it's so silly, but still affectionate because he is touching all over her. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, Retta can sing. She has a beautiful voice uh, in real life. And so they're always bringing in these songs that she can sing. And again, to go back to what you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, they sing these songs that are very much a part of black culture, even though, you know, Nelly, that was a very popular song. It crossed over or whatever. But still, they anchor their blackness in um, a lot of the, you know, throwaway pop culture references that they make yes. um, to each other. And I, it's just, just so well done. One of the things that I really think about is the point at which in season two, this is a bit of a spoiler. Apologies if you haven't seen it yet. You can turn it off for 10 seconds. Is when... Stan chooses to essentially jeopardize his career and he confiscates, um, well, he steals some evidence that would have absolutely kind of got his wife and her friends in trouble. And listen, there are other ways to prove love, obviously, but I feel like doing that shit, right? That is, that is an intentional act. That is somebody saying, listen, I know what I'm doing is so, so wrong as to be literally illegal. But like, if it's the law or the woman I love, well, it's no contest. Right. Because, you know, Ruby has risked her life and, you know, her reputation to do the things she needed to do in order to make sure that their daughter um, got the kidney transplant that she needed. And so... She's she's not going to have it. She, you know, Stan tries to sleep on the couch and she's like, no, sleeping on the couch is for cheaters. You're not a cheater. I didn't cheat. Um, and so I want to play mm-hmm. this clip from that argument to see so you can see how they communicate uh, with each other. You, when, you know, shit. Ain't I sweet. want you to come back to bed. Well, I can't act like this didn't happen. So maybe we can just give it back then. What are you talking about? The kidney. Maybe we can return it. Okay, that's just crazy talk. What's crazy is that you can't even look at me. You know what? You lied to my face. I saved her life. It wasn't God or the church or any of those thoughts and prayers. It was me. You say you don't know who I am. Well, let me introduce myself. I'm the crazy-ass bitch that robbed a grocery store to save her child and protect her family. Your child and your family. I'm that bitch. Nice to meet you. And you're welcome. Mm. Mm. Ruby, man. (laughs) Ruby said, I am that bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene. Like, Stan is, yes, he's shocked, but he's also kind of like... uh, jumping a little bit too easily into like self-righteous mode Mm -hmm. and ruby was like all right that's cute but let me uncute that for you and lay out the facts as they are not as you imagine them not as you see them but as they are i saved our daughter's life and when she says that line about my daughter my family and then she says your daughter your family like i didn't do this shit yeah i may have done it unilaterally but i'm not i'm not ashamed of what i did because guess what you're benefiting from it too we're all benefiting from it this is not i didn't do it lightly i did it to literally save our daughter's life mm-hmm. and protect our family and that bit also that i thought was kind of like quietly sacrilegious when she said it wasn't god <laughs> it wasn't thoughts and prayers it wasn't the church it was me and I was like, all right, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the, the religion of me rose up like, oof, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so, she's she's laying out the, the law so cleanly. Like, you get to, you can be angry because, yes, I didn't share all of this with you. But would I do it again? Yes, I would. And mm-hmm. I, I have to stand. Yes. I mean, the fact that she laid out those facts in the argument and he listened, not only because he didn't really have a choice because she was going off, <laughs> but, you know, he was he stayed in the room. You know, sometimes people will just walk away. He was trying to distance himself by sleeping on the couch. And she was like, no, that's not going to happen. We need to talk about this and we're going to and this is what happened because you're being ridiculous right now um so i want to play one more little quick little clip um to illustrate those pep talks one of those pep talks that they give each other stan i think at this point um 
he's either lost his job or he's just he's sad about something and ruby is trying to help you know you're gonna get up pull him out of that you're gonna hose off that self-pity and depression because i'm tired of looking at it oh is that so it is i got you boo now please wash your ass So we got a little bit of tough love. We still got the support. I got you, boo. And then mm-hmm. you got the little the little playful jab between partners. Go wash your ass. <laughs> uh, yes. That's listen, that's the triptych of dreams. I just love seeing them. It also helps, and this is the other thing that we haven't mentioned. It helps, and I haven't said this a lot, but I, I wanna be very clear that the guy who plays Stan, uh, is an actor called Reno Wilson, he has the cutest smile in the world. Like he is all teeth. His eyes go crinkly. His nose is cute <laughs> as a button. I just, he, he he looks like he would be such a good boyfriend. <laughs> like, he's so cute. You uh, can see, like, the mischievous little boy that he was yes, all in his exactly face. exactly it. <laughs> yes, he's like, oh, my God. He is so cute. He looks like a boy I grew up with. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I could imagine Ruby meeting him as a, like a, you know, in her late teens, early 20s and be like, ugh, this cute boy, fine. And I just, it melts my heart that he looked at Ruby and saw her worth and she looked at him and saw his worth and then they made a life together. That shit is romantic as hell. I love Stan and Ruby. I, ugh, I love them. Nicole, I love them. I love <laughs> them too. I'm so glad we get to see this example that, uh, again, it's not heavy handed. It's very you know, well-balanced, um, but still powerful. Uh, if I can say powerful, I know that word has like lost all meaning at this point, but, um, you know, it's just so engaging because once you pay attention, you're like, oh shit, this is great. This is, this is great. And again, hats off to Retta, who was, um, you know, the main reason that both of us started watching the show the first place, (laughs) Right. but she is, she's funny. Um, when she has those dramatic moments where she's very upset, she's crying and she's, you know, trying to tell somebody off or whatever, she she handles it. She handles mm-hmm. it. And I'm so glad we get to see her, um, I guess, blossom. I don't know. Yes. I don't want to say blossom. But yeah. No, like, but showcase her range. Like yeah. she can do so much more than she's been allowed to do, you know? Right, right. Ah, anyway. Stan and Ruby, we love you, <laughs> even love though you're fictional. You. <laughs> right. Listen, everything's fictional, Nicole. It's fine. <laughs> now, of course, we couldn't talk about um, quarantine TV binging uh, featuring couples that we want to watch fall and be in love over and over again without mentioning my favorite and possibly a good number of yours uh new girl new girl (laughs) (laughs) oh man i i started watching it again i think back in november or something Mm -hmm. so good it's so good and i actually had never watched the final season um and i can't remember why yeah but obviously, I watched it with this binge, and I was like, "Oh, that was really good. Why aren't more people talking about the season? The you know the the final season because it was actually um, much better than I thought it was going to be." Of course, the central relationship at the center of New Girl is, of course, Nick and Jess. Now, we're not going to linger too long uh, on this couple because we have spoken about Jake Johnson, we have spoken about Nick Miller um, on the show, and. Also, I discuss him in my heart every single day because I am in love. <laughs> I am in love with Nick Miller. I think he is just one of the best characters to come out. And if we're going to be 100% about this, he's a direct descendant of a smart mouth, David Addison from Moonlighting. But that's for my lecture series about, you know, the godsons <laughs> of David Addison. Uh, once we're free about <laughs> to move around in the world, I will sell tickets for the launch event. Anyway. Um, Nick and Jess are, of course, a classic kind of chalk and cheese. She is super cutesy. She is, you know, she's the kind of person who crafts and has like a a basket full of yarn. And Nick, I don't believe, would shower unless um, somebody forced him to shower. You know, he's just one of those guys. (laughs) 
like he he was sharing a towel like he was just like i don't and then like i don't need to clean the towel because i'm clean when i use the towel yes (laughs) oh Oh, so disgusting disgusting no reason for that to make sense at all to be attractive but here we are (laughs) (laughs) listen sexuality is complex (laughs) okay um but what i love about this again is that they did that thing where they established the attraction that these two people had they had that barnstormer of a kiss in Mm -hmm. cooler Mm -hmm. they made them a couple and then they broke them up after a fairly lackluster season where they were together right and there was Mm -hmm. the usual cries of oh the curse of moonlighting what happens when you put the characters together blah 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 but they rode that fucking wave and what emerged for my money was one of the more nuanced and excellent ways of portraying what happens when you attempt to go down a certain road and that road turns out to be rocky and then you just write yourselves and get back in the vehicle um and nick and jess i thought nailed that but the thing that i want to pull out of the their whole togetherness was the feeling that nick was such a mess that it was a miracle that anyone let alone jess would want him (laughs) Um, And it was something that he internalized in a way that I think they did a very good job of showing was actually quite damaging to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he hadn't really thought about it because, you know, I remember the detail when he goes home to Chicago after his father dies and the friends can't believe that in Chicago, Nick is the responsible one because Mm -hmm. it's so out of keeping with the person that they know and live with. Um, But he had, I think, kind of swallowed the story about himself that he was a fuck up that any woman who was with him was doing so out of a weird sense of pity um, that he couldn't believe, he just, he didn't seem like someone who could believe that he was worth anything. Um, and I, I loved the way they had Jess just kind of show him how ridiculous a thought that was. And they did that over and over again where he would say something deprecating and she'd kind of look at him like, huh? Like, do you think I would be with a complete loser? Like, of course you're more than that. And, I don't know. I really loved that as a thing because, again, so often uh, culture, as far as, you know, I've been watching since I was a kid, is women. They're so clumsy, but they're so adorable. Or she doesn't even know that she's a fucker. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And this reversed that. And I was always very thrilled to kind of see a man be a little bit, um, well, unsure of himself and his worth in a way that wasn't kind of self-pitying, which is kind of just like, yeah, just the fact of his life. And there is a scene in particular in the fifth season where he's doing his usual thing, ragging on himself and kind of talking himself down and just being generally just, yeah, having incredibly low self-esteem. And Jess is just singing. I don't know what you said to Reagan, but I want to say thank you because she wants to go for it with me. She wants to do this. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm freaking out. I can't believe it. (laughs) Why does she want to be with me? It doesn't make any sense. You, of all people, know that I'm just the weird detour you take before you find the guy you want to be with. I basically just help women realize that they could do a lot better. Stop it, Nick! I'm tired of you being the only person who doesn't see how incredible you are. Okay, I'm uh, I'm incredible. Yes, you're incredible. All right, thanks. All right, I'm booking a ticket. A ticket? Yeah, Reagan is going to New Orleans for work for three months and she asked me to go with her and I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Don't make this about you, get in line and horror. All right, let's do it. And the thing about that scene is, mm-hmm. of course, this is after they've broken up um, and he's about to go off with this woman who he's very attracted to. Um, and Jess, of course, has realized that she's actually in love with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the layers of it where she says so passionately, I'm tired of you being the only person who doesn't see how incredible you are. She's talking about herself a little bit there. Just kind of like, I'm ready to like be with you again. And he is just, you know, doing this dual thing where he's putting himself down, but also he's actively wanting to pursue this other person. And again, you don't often have a lot of praise thrown the way of Zoe Deschanel in this role because (laughs) it's kind of a, you know, it's all wide eyed, you know, cutesy girl, which they address on the show and whatever. I personally think it's a really subtle and wonderful performance in a very difficult role. 
But in that moment, her heart just, you know, her eyes are fucking the size of, you know, planets. And she just <laughs> looks crushed when he says, okay, I'm going to book my ticket. And she's like, huh? <laughs> like, you were supposed to realize and then be with me. <laughs> right. And I, I think, love that I, scene. Yeah, like she realizes that during their first um, attempt at a relationship, she was so busy trying to fix him and make mm. him into, you know, this project, another craft project of hers. Um, when he's actually, as she said, incredible the way that he is. Um, you yes. know, he is a really good friend to everybody. Um, which means that he's gonna, you know, he's a good boyfriend as well. Um, so she just, all of that hit her, uh, all at once. And, um, obviously they, you know, as you know, they end up back together, um, and they're very supportive of each other. She helps him launch his writing career. Oh, so, you know, before when you mentioned the crumbs that writers kind of leave in a show. Yeah. New girl is full of those crumbs and Nick becoming the writer is just peppered all the way through pepper <laughs> yeah thank you for noticing <laughs> okay so nick and jess obviously the main couple in new girl but there was a secondary couple that had a lot of you know on again off again kind of stuff happening with it and that is cc and schmidt amen Cece is Jess's best friend. Uh, she's a model. She's gorgeous. She's clearly way above everybody's league. Um, I mean, <laughs> listen, as you pointed out this years ago, like in any other universe, the lead of that show is clearly Cece. Like, <laughs> <sighs> but that's a story for another day. Carry on. And Schmidt is this um, lovable... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he's a douchebag, Nicole. He's a douchebag. He's a douchebag because <laughs> he was so, he considered himself unattractive when he was younger. You know, during mm-hmm. his adolescence, he was, uh, you know, a fat guy um, and felt like nobody was paying attention to him. He lost weight. He's, you know, got all super cut. He works in marketing in some vague company or whatever, where he's the only <laughs> only man uh, in the entire building, it looks like. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's such a douche to the point that they have a douche jar where every time he says something ridiculous, he has to put money in the jar. Right. Right. Um, that was one of the best bits you know, in the series and they did and they were so good about like tapering it off so that we Mm. didn't have it every episode. They established it firmly and then it kind of went away. But you could always see the jar in the background and every now and then it would (laughs) pop up, you know, where he had to put in (laughs) money in the jar. Um, But so a lot of the times when Schmidt had to put money in the jar, it was because he said something ridiculous to and or about Cece and his attraction <laughs> to Cece. <laughs> He's so disgusting in those early seasons. Like you've never seen someone so nakedly um, just like lost for someone. Like, listen, I say that as the co-host of First Aid Kit, <laughs> but like Schmidt would be out there with his tongue all the way out saying the stupidest borderline offensive sometimes straight up offensive things <laughs> about cc about what he wanted to do with or to or on cc it's so ridiculous god bless every writer in that room they really they did some terrible outstanding work and the you know i think he got away with it not only because you know the writers <laughs> were were incredible with it but you could see everybody could see that this was coming from an insecure place and that Ooh. even if as soon as he would get these beautiful women, he wouldn't know what to do. You know, he wouldn't know how to <laughs> handle them emotionally. But we did later learn that he is some kind of a genius when it comes to <sighs> the moves <laughs> that he was doing. <laughs> that scene is ridiculous, by the way. If you don't know the scene we're talking about, it is when Schmidt speaks to uh, a friend of Jess and Cece's. She's a lesbian gynecologist and she he has her <laughs> he has her basically uh, judge his technique. And he, he performs. It's similar to the friends scene where Monica and 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 Rachel uh, teach Chandler about a woman's body, right? And uh, they do the whole seven, seven, seven. Yes. And he basically does a sort of seven. And by the end of it, this lesbian gynecologist is kind of like, "You need to leave right now because these pregnancy hormones have made it so that I'm oddly attracted to you. Get the fuck out." It's so funny. <laughs> it is so it funny. Is- 
It's so good because he's saying ridiculous shit. He's like, and then I go outside and I shake hands with the people and I wave my hand. You know, like this is uh, so stupid, but it clearly works because Cece, once they do finally hook up, Cece was all over Schmidt. She was like, I can't believe that I am into this right now. And she like, you know, she would be on her way out the door. He would say something like, you want some cheese later? And she'd be like, oh, yes. And come right back in. And like, you know, she's taking off her bra. It was so silly and sweet. But it also yes. was very real because there are people like that, you know, where you're yes. just like, this is the corniest, stupidest thing that I've ever heard. But it's you. And so it's hot. Yes. Or if, even if it's not hot, it's just kind of like, what is this weird hold you have over me? Because you can see Cece rolling her eyes, especially when he says some ill-advised Indian thing. And she's just kind of like, Jesus H. Christ. Like, what is that even? What do you, you know, even the silly way he pronounces chutney, because it's chutney. And all of that <laughs> stuff that is just ridiculous. That she, she rolls her eyes. And yet there is, <laughs> beyond his sexual savant <laughs> uh, ways, there's something <laughs> quite sweet about Schmidt. And it's what I love is that it moves after they break up um, because, you know, he does something fairly unforgivable. He's seen two different women, uh, Cece and another person. And it's just kind of like it's such a betrayal. They break up, but they kind of stay friends because they have Jess in common. Mm-hmm. And what I really love is how they play the evolution of their friendship. So it starts off as this hot and heavy. Like, first of all, he's like this terrible douchebag. They finally start hooking up. They break up. Um, he kind of breaks her heart in a very fundamental way. Yeah. And then they become friends. And it's grudging at first. And, you know, like Nicole said, they are so good at playing it subtly. So you know that there is tension. But it is a tension that you think, well, with time, they might be able to circumvent this. Like, this might be something that they... It's a it's a, it's a a bump in the road of their friendship. Um, you know, and who's to say? Maybe they can fall in love again. And the show is so good at just, like, pulling back. Like, you don't have to have the full glare of, you know, the A plot or even the B plots, like, be a thing. It's just kind of like this constant awareness that Schmidt, however ridiculous and douchebaggy he was, the thing that Nicole said about him being insecure is front and center only with CC. Like, mm-hmm. you see so clearly here is a man who is so eager to please. He's so eager to, to have CC in his life that he says the stupidest things that occur to him, but it's not because he's actually you know that much of a dick he just doesn't know what to do and he feels so deeply for her and i just i love the way they play that and you know one of the those um those moments of insecurities the way that he over pronounces things it's you know <laughs> him overcompensating for all of the stuff that he thinks is wrong with him um mm. and this moment where schmidt sees Cece and he realizes that she is the one for him um, it's so, again, douchebaggy, but also <laughs> sweet. And you kind of like, you don't even want to um, dismiss him. You don't want to walk away from him because you can see the sincerity, the sincerity in in his gesture when he does this. So I'm just going to play this little clip. Looks like it's finally just the two of us, huh? Oh, God, you're about to say something stupid, aren't you? Uh-huh. Girl, I'm going to marry you jar so we see that memory play out when Ugh, he's about to I propose to cc and it's so sweet and funny again it is just it's so schmidt <laughs> it, it, it really it like the thing i love about that scene you know which is from the first season where she kind of like exhorts him to put money into the douchebag jar because of what he just said to her it's like you said the gesture in the moment i think he bites his lip in like this weird sort of self-conscious kind of like and the way he says it, I'm going to marry you, girl. <laughs> like, it's part of his weird kind of, like, sort of black cl- cosplay nonsense that he does, where it's kind of like, stop that. Right. Like one of his idols is, of course, Kanye West, which makes sense. <laughs> but I love the way that that memory comes up because he proposes with the $5 bill mm-hmm. that he puts into the jar when he said, I'm going to marry you, girl. The thoughtfulness and Schmidt going back to the jar, pulling out that exact $5, holding on to it for five years. Oh, my God. To give to her. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was Ugh. very much um, this kind of 
boy band thing to me. That's that's how I yes. read it. Like, you know, like, girl, I'm going to marry you. Like, it felt right, right, so right, right. in sync in one direction. Like, I don't Even know. Even a bit of new addition in there. Yes. <laughs> Bobby, Ricky, like, it's so clearly the spoken word bit of a boy band song. I'm going to marry you, girl. Like, what? <laughs> it is down to Max Greenfield and Hannah Simone and obviously the writers who were able to pull out such incredible performances from both both of them. Um, I like Max Greenfield. I think he's very cute. I love all of his moles. Uh, yeah, of course you do. That shit is your catnip. You love a mole. I Ugh. do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I love New Girl almost as much as I love moles. Wow. That is big love. <sighs> all right. Listen, this has been... Um, a really wonderful opportunity for me to go back and look at some of the TV couples that I have perhaps inadvertently um, <laughs> set up <laughs> as my goals. But listen, but if these four couples are, you know, anywhere in the possibility of what I can achieve in real life, I feel okay about that. So we had Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nobe from Parks and Recreation. We had Stan and Ruby Hill from Good Girls. Ugh, I love them. We had, uh, of course, my favorite and yours, New Girl. And we focused on both Nick and Jess and also Schmidt and Cece. And I feel like all four of those couples, um, whatever streaming platform you choose, if you go back and watch them, I challenge you to tell me that you watch those couples and you don't feel like a twinge in your heart area because they really deliver the goods on what love can look like. Perfect. I don't, I can't top that. I can't top that. I can't add anything else to that. Whatever Bim said goes. <laughs> You're so good for my ego. Thanks. <laughs> Now, to remind you, we are going on hiatus. This is our last episode, not forever, but just for right now. We will be back. You know, keep in mind, we will be back. But we do want to give a special shout out to everyone that's helped make this last run of episodes so special. We're so grateful for you. Um, thank you to Slate for being our home base. Shout out to everyone who makes the engine run. We also want to thank our producer, Cher, who is the silent partner in this endeavor, but equally important. Um, she helps make sure that we are on time and she reigns us in as needed, which, you know, <laughs> is kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to everyone who subscribed to Slate Plus. We hope you we hope you've enjoyed all the extra sips that we've prepared for you. It really means a lot that you have supported us. Yes, and we also want to say the biggest thank you to all of our first buckets who have supported us, continue to support us, not just this season, but all the periods that we have been putting out episodes. Because listen, we've been doing this for a while now, and your support and love is unwavering, and we are grateful every single day. We want to say thank you for sending in your drabbles, even though you persistently refuse to keep them short. Um, <laughs> you said, that's cute. Uh, read my thesis. So thank you very much, Thirst Buckets. We want to thank you also for calling in the Thirst Sommelier request because, listen, it is very hard to articulate desire and thirst and yet you guys oftentimes push aside your anxiety about getting on the phone and you just tell us your feelings and thoughts and we are grateful to you for doing that we are so serious about examining desire and popular culture and we couldn't do it without you we want to thank everyone who hops on twitter every single thursday and live tweets using the famous hashtag tagpod um we appreciate you all the time uh, especially also when you send us those social media tags uh, you know <laughs> with new content from our faves it's like guys we see it too but we appreciate you <laughs> being so zealous about like you're not going to miss it not on my watch and we appreciate that so thank you all our thirst buckets we hope that we continue to provide exactly what you need and that you'll continue to tune in to us we want to say extra special thank you to all the guests that we've had um, so far that's Daniel Day Kim and Kendrick Sampson mm. and Sundance Oof. Matt Belisai um, who helped break down why Harry Styles uh, should be, uh, you know, one of the thirst objects that we pin to our wall, I guess. I don't know <laughs> if it worked, but thank you, Matt. <laughs> uh, definitely want to thank Blair Underwood, who was <sighs> one of the best, if not the best interviews I've had so far. Oh, so good. Thank you, Blair. Thank you so much, Blair. I think, yeah, he was... Uh... 
he was in the middle of doing his Broadway run and he came to the studio and was just a perfect man. And yes, I am completely in love. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, also want to thank Hunter Harris who came in and did her darn tootinest to make us feel feelings for large man Adam Driver. Um, shout out to Ashley C. Ford also who was in the studio with us and flooded the basement multiple times telling <laughs> us about <laughs> very diverse lusts. We appreciate you. No one else has brought up Megan the Stallion and also Sam Elliott in the same breath. And that is just the kind of stuff that you get when you tune into an episode with Ashley C. Ford. Uh, I want to say thank you to Roxanne Gay, who again extolled the many virtues and grownness of Channing Tatum. You know, I'm always there for that shit. And last but not least, we had the triumphant return of Gina Moore Barrett, who is filthy and hilarious and has a lot of thoughts about cartoon oxen. So <laughs> shout out to every single one of our guests. You honestly help make us uh, great and make us seem great. So thank you again. And we also want to say thank you to some of the thirst objects that we talked about who engaged with the show. Um, <sighs> we really appreciate that. We never do this for those reasons. Um, but when it happens, when you acknowledge what we've done, when you acknowledge our work, we really appreciate appreciate that and it also just you know makes our heart flutter a little bit uh <laughs> yaya abdul mateen the second he retweeted us he listened he was just uh he blushed listen <laughs> he that's, that's, your, that's your number one dream whenever we have uh, a, a guest it's always you, i know because you've told me that your yes. number one aim is to get a man to blush <laughs> Yes, and I it moves me <laughs> that he admitted that. I also think he's sending me secret messages, but you know that's another uh, story for another day. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> Want to thank uh, Shazal Latif, who also shared the episode and was oh, very thankful. Yes, he shared it on his uh, Instagram. Thank you so much. And to Simulu, who responded to us. I don't think he shared, but he still responded and was very flattered, he said, by what we had to say. And Kim's Convenience, the Twitter account um, of the show that Simulu stars in, also recognized uh, what we did in that episode. So thank you to all of you for recognizing what we've done. Um, you know, it makes us feel good. Thank you. Really, really does. Anyway, um, we love you. We will come back to you quicker than you can even imagine. But we are also super thankful to have a little time away. And hopefully we will recharge our batteries and come back to you stronger than ever to create yet more thirst content for these incredibly thirsty times. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday Kit is a Slate production produced by Cher, Vincent, and us, Nicole Perkins and Bim Adewunmi. Our music is by Tanya Morgan. You can follow the show on Twitter at ThirstAidKit, and we are on Tumblr at ThirstAidKitPodcast.tumblr.com. We're not putting out any new episodes for a little while as we go on hiatus, but you can still tweet about anything from our back catalog. You can use the hashtag TACPOD, T-A-K-P-O-D. And don't worry, we see you. <laughs> if you feel moved enough to email, you can send it to thursdaykit at slate.com. Remember, you can find all of our episodes and links to listen at slate.com slash podcast. But if you want a little more, then good news. All you have to do is become a Slate Plus member. Slate Plus is Slate's membership program. And for just $35 for the first year, you'll get a little extra from this show as well as all other Slate shows. And all of that will be completely ad-free. So visit slate.com slash thirstaidplus to sign up. We'll see you in a little while. We'll miss you, but we'll think of you all the time and we want you to think of the goodness to come. In the meantime, wear your masks, treat yourself and others kindly, and build up your thirst muscle however works for you. See you real soon. Bye.